<clears throat> Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Steel Target Paint Podcast. Uh, today is the first in a multiple of episodes that we're going to be talking with the USPSA slash Steel Challenge slash Multi Gun uh, candidates for the presidency. Uh, our first interview today is going to be with Steve Moneypenny. Steve, Steve Moneypenny. <laughs> Got to get that right. Uh, Steve, welcome to the podcast. How you doing? Thanks. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. And, you know, just so everybody does remember, I don't have a home range, but this guy does. My partner in crime, <laughs> one of my best friends. Steve, how you doing? Good, Steve. <laughs> Good job. How are you doing? <laughs> no, no, that's okay. If you've if you've seen the Jimmy Soldo videos, he calls me Steve Foster, and it was the funniest <laughs> thing ever. So, uh, um, Jeff, Jeff, we can cut this interview short. Just want okay. to know, Steve, Steve, do you have a home range or not? It's not where I live, but it's about eight miles from my house. Uh, okay, no, okay. I guess yeah, they'll, if, they'll if you have can't, to do. If you can't walk there with your gun in your hand, it doesn't count. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Although you are in West Virginia, so maybe you can. <laughs> well, um, when I was actually when I was getting good back when I could actually shoot, uh, I did have a home range. But we have a couple of neighbors, and the the layout of the property has changed a little bit since then. So I no longer can walk out to the range, but I could when I was actually shooting well. Gotcha. Well, you know, let's dive right into it. Um, you're running for USPSA president. How long have you been a USPSA member? Uh, just at 20 years. 20 years. And what made you want to run for the presidency? Well, I've lived through a lot of presidents, uh, Mike Boyd, Phil Strader, and here lately, Mike Foley. And when the position became vacated, there's been a lot of turmoil in USPSA, and I want to fix that. I want to bring things so that everybody has a place to shoot. Uh, part of that is I've shot since 2015, I've shot multi-gun. Uh, I incorporated a club here in West Virginia. That club started out as a multi-gun club because that's what the people around me wanted. When somebody says and literally looks you in the eyes and says, I will help you run a multi-gun club, but nobody will say that for a pistol or steel challenge club. You take the help. Sure. So, uh, I started a multi a club doing multi-gun. Uh, two years later, we incorporated doing Steel Challenge and USPSA, and then COVID hit. So once we got all that in, I had shot a number of multi-gun matches, including multi-gun nationals, which is three-gun nation nationals technically at that point. So mm -hmm. I saw what they'd done, and when they folded, I really wanted to I pushed some with some folks at USPSA to get a concise rule set and make everyone happy uh, so that they would have a place to go. That's one of the things that I really still want to do. Um, I look out there and I see a lot of things that I feel could be done better. So I want to do them better. Well, that's great. You know, and, and I've never shot multi-gun, um, but I did talk to someone who uh, has shot it, has run matches um uh at the national level and one of the things that he talked about and again for those that may be listening that shoot multi-gun uh may be uh very interested in your answer is the rule set for multi-gun is very different than say what three gun nation had or any of the other multiple gun discipline 
shooting uh, sports like this. Um, have you experienced that? I have. Uh, in fact, I've shot about half the matches I've shot have been what they call outlaw matches. I really don't like that term. I just like to call them varying rule set matches. Uh, a lot of those were really good. And a lot of them were really poor. I'm one of those guys that has filled up a trick, a pickup truck bed full of two people's gear and taken bipods, uh, bags, everything you could possibly imagine to make my shotgun from eight rounds to anywhere from nine, 10, 12 and 14 round twos, because I didn't know what was going to be legal when I walked into the match. So you go the day before the match, you then that night you go set up your gear for that match. And that's a royal pain. Uh, that, I think that's the biggest complaint I hear from multi-gunners. And that's why we need a clear and concise rule set. The USPSA pistol rules are amazing for pistol. It's the safest sport on the planet for pistol, in my opinion. Um, when you apply the exact same rule set to rifles and shotguns, and even a PCC. If you remember, the first few PCC nationals were very, very, how do I put this, uh, Tense. Tense. Yeah. yeah, because you don't know whether, and I, I actually know one competitor that picked up his PCC off of his range card, walked to the line, got the make ready command, loaded it, shot the stage, and finished up, flagged it, and turned around to walk exactly back to his range card. And they stopped him and made someone bring him a bag. So luckily they didn't DQ him at this. If this would have been a, a huge, huge, it was a pretty, it was a level two match. But if it had been a level three or four match, they were probably DQ'd him when he tried to walk off the stage. Um, things like that need to be clearly written and concise about what's required. I've found if, if as adults, we're all just really big kids, right? We're out here playing games and stuff. If we know the rules, for the most part, we're going to play by them. Um, there may be a few accidents and mistakes, but, looking at the low DQ levels in most matches, we generally tend to play by the rules. So if we know what those rules are, we can save a lot of hassle. Excellent. Well, uh, getting back, uh, let's talk a little bit about USPSA. So uh, have you shot all the divisions or how many divisions haven't you shot? Let's say you've been in the sport for 20 years. Um, it's really uh, not a requirement of, of the, uh, the president. I'm just interested. I love them all. That's, that's the, this is a terrible point. My problem with cars and guns are the same. I do love them all. <laughs> Whether it's a little four-cylinder all-wheel drive Subaru that I have or a rear-wheel, you know, 400-horsepower Corvette I or more, I pretty much love all of them. So have I shot them all? I shot limited 10 Nationals. I've shot the single stack classic a few times. I have not put a lot of time into single stacks since it became a USPSA division. Uh, I shot open, and I will tell you, I am the world's most pitiful B-class level master class because I'm a GM in production open shooter. That offset to the dock kills me. Uh, I shot limited quite a bit. I actually shot limited a match a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I've even shot two or three matches in revolver. I had an awesome Smith & Wesson 625, but for the most part, a USPSA match that is made for open guns and limited guns is dreadfully painful for a revolver shooter, especially when there's only one of you and they don't give a trophy or anything until there's three of you. Yeah, yeah, I get that. So, 
Well, Steve, hey, on Steve. these two topics, you got any questions? Yeah, I've got uh, I've got a couple of questions around it. I mean, you know, Steve, uh, I've only been shooting competitively for I don't know what's it been since end of 2015, the beginning of 2016, and so uh, my exposure to USPSA is a little. You know, I've shot a couple of USPSA matches, um, which is a it's a blast. Uh, you know, as you as you're aware, I shoot a lot of steel challenge. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I'm kind of one of those uh, guys that I like the family atmosphere of Steel Challenge. And uh, there's enough major matches in a year, though, certainly keeps me entertained. That That's for sure. So so I've only known really, um, I, I can't, I apologize. I, I didn't know um, Phil at the time when he was president, but I met Mike several times in Steel Challenge because he was very active in Steel Challenge. Tell me a little bit about your Steel Challenge experience and, and um, you know what? What sort of things? If you were president of all of USPSA, what are some of the things that you do to maybe enhance or um, fix or you know put a bandaid on in the steel challenge world? Well, first things first. Um, I do. I love steel challenge. Um, it was actually the biggest draw my when I had my club that it had, and it'll be, my club will be opening again in January first, twenty twenty two, with steel challenge USPSA. And USPSA multi-gun rules, whether it's a modified rule set or however. Um, I have helped run a steel challenge match in Michigan at the Livingston Gun Club. Briefly, I mainly just bought the steel. I think I actually shot one match there. Uh, I am from West Virginia. So that was a bit of a haul. Uh, I had some friends that really wanted to do it. And I think that's that's going to kind of tie into a couple of things. I want to create a method for clubs to be able to afford the steel to get started. Um, not every club all over the country can just jump into that. And I think having a, the ability to, to get a club started could get a lot of things really rolling in areas that hadn't had steel challenge before. Um, then after that, I worked with another friend of mine, which was Kyle Ferris. And we used to shoot a steel challenge match in Circleville, Ohio. I think it's a Pickaway County Sportsman's Club. And it really puts everybody on the same playing field. Um, a lot of us can get beat by a 13 year old. Um, <laughs> and, and at the same time. No, 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 no. Let's be clear. Last year in PCC, we all got beat by a 13 year old. That is true. So. That is true. My man, Kenny. <laughs> Yeah. And a couple yeah. of years ago in Rimfire Rifle Open, we all got beat by a girl. So uh, and I think it's great. So, uh, yeah. So I think it's a real equalizer. The, two of the biggest things for me with Steel Challenge is the lack of movement. Um, let's be honest. Not all of us trust our children. Oh, I don't have any children, but just children in general. Uh, sometimes I don't even trust adults running with firearms. Um, so it's a great gateway drug. And I think that's why some of USPSA's numbers have been so high because every steel challenge member gets a USPSA member number. Mm-hmm. Um, but also everybody wants to find their own way in the shooting sports. So you guys may have found steel challenge, maybe in the first thing you've done or the last thing you did, but if you have that ability for people to go around and find their own place in the shooting sports, I know some three gun guys that would never shoot a single gun match 
And I know some single gun masters and just, just really good shooters that love shooting and they would not shoot a multi-gun match. Um, so with that being said, it's an equalizer that it gets a lot of people into the sport. Um, I've had a couple of guys that come out and just watched other matches and they're like, that's awesome, but I can't run like that. I've got terrible knees or this or that. And I said, that's fine. Come to a steel challenge match. And they come and you can just see their eyes light up. Um, because th that's something they can do. They can compete with somebody, you know, even though we can't outrun a 13 year old, we do stand a chance at beating them um, in a steel challenge match. Most of them anyway. Uh, <laughs> so it, it's a really great equalizer. And that's what I feel has been the biggest thing with steel challenge. It's not something hard to do unless you try to do it well. Uh, and the harder, the, the harder you try to do something, the harder it becomes. So uh, my plans for Steel Challenge, if I were USPSA president, uh, the first thing I do is I don't think anyone has relied on committees in the way that they should. This has been a sport where if I ask for help, people walk out and any of the sports, they'll hand you thousands of dollars worth of equipment that they worked and earned and got to help you. They will give you a hand. They will help you set up matches. Um, and I look at this as in general, the shooting sports are full of the best people I have ever met. And if you ask for help, they'll give it to you. So create a committee of committed steel challenge people. And this goes for the same thing for multi-gun and other, other facets of our sport and allow them to help us create a, a rule set like for multi-gun or to enhance the steel challenge experience. Biggest complaints I hear from Steel Challenge is more people want to shoot big matches and they fill up. Um, so find some ways to get more people into the big matches. Um, anything else? I, I'm, an, I'm an open book when it comes to a lot of these things. If you ask me my opinion, I'll tell you, but my opinion isn't paramount. If we find there's things that 100 people out there can commit to and say, hey, this is what I do and this is what I think then that's the way we'll do it. If the majority of Steel Challenge members want to do something, we'll give it a try. We can throw it in as a provisional because the, the rule sets with USPSA and Steel Challenge almost mimic each other at this point. And if there needs to be some separation of that, then so be it. But I see Steel Challenge is the one facet of this organization that could be an Olympic sport. And I feel that it should be because our Olympic sports don't really facilitate the same things as they used to. All right. Well, I got three follow-up questions on that. Okay. Um, one, uh, you talk about providing support for clubs to become steel challenge affiliated. Are you talking about, giving them money to buy steel or just giving them a place to go to find out how to do this. Uh, just expand on a little more because I'm not trying to put you on the spot, oh, but no. it kind of sounds like the old, you know, uh, politician that'll say chicken in every pot and, you know, <laughs> a car in every garage and, and people hear that and then they get elected and they're like, well, yeah, if, if, 
you go buy it. You know, you can have that chicken. So I just want you to expand on that <laughs> a little more just so the people understand what your true, you know, what, what your actual position is instead of just the high. I like the high level. Now I'd like to go a little deeper. Okay. So first of all, that's kind of three parts of a question. One, we need education. I have been through the USPSA um, club affiliation process. Um, and I actually know our previous president. I know our area director. And if you don't ask for help, it's not really there. And a lot of times as a, as a new club member, you don't know what you don't know. So you don't know to ask for that help. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to create some education about how to do the books for a club. There are some things out there on USPSA, but it's really hard to do that already. And I don't, I hate required training, but uh, I think it should be something that when you sign up for a club, did you watch this video series or something like that and have somebody in there so that they know how to do the books of a club. They know how to run it. They know I, I've had people come to me and say, well, I can pay for all of this stuff for $5. Why are you charging $30 to run a multi-gun match? And I looked at them and I'm like, well, nothing in this world is free. Mm -hmm. and, and that's true. Um, you buy a steel target paint that costs money. They were buying dollar paint at Walmart, but you got to buy five times as much of it to cover the same thing. We, we call uh, that, we, by the way, we, we call that skim milk in a can. Uh, that, <laughs> that is not actually paint. <laughs> Unless you can get the flat, um, it doesn't even cover what skim milk would. I could use that as better for paint. Oh, oh <laughs> but, let's just, just Steve, Steve, what's the only paint on the planet to use? Of course, still target paint, and I, it does <laughs> it does drive me crazy when I hear the argument. Well, that stuff's expensive. Well, you go through six cans compared to one can of coverage, and there's nothing worse as a shooter, specifically in Steel Challenge, to use. I call it cheap paint and not garbage. Uh, it's a G-rated shower. I'll tell you what I really call it. But you know, as a competitor, when you're shooting and you see like remnants of a bullet mark left by the skim milk oh it's so frustrating so yep. frustrating yep well you know the, I, and i'm just sorry steve i'm gonna digress a little here both steves it's easy i just say steve and it's both of you um uh for me you know one thing i started doing uh at the wyoming antelope club uh now that i'm the match director is making sure everyone understands there actually is a best way to use the paint um Yes, with the skim milk in the can, with many of the others, it's a constant spray to cover the plate. And that's why you go so through much, because it doesn't cover well, you have to use more. If more people understood, saw the videos that so many people have put out about one spot covers the dot, uh, you would find a can of paint lasts well through the match. Now, granted, you have a couple of multiple cans, you know, maybe three cans. But I know uh, once I did that, um, we have uh, uh, our matches, uh, six stages, 12 shooters a stage. Uh, so we'll get anywhere from, you know, 65 to 75 shooters and three cans of paint when painted correctly, make it through the match. No problem. And so when you use it efficiently, it's uh it's definitely uh, a cost savings uh, in the long run. So, okay, enough about that shameless plug for our sponsor, yeah. the Steel Target Paint. 
it is the target paint podcast um but at the same time so you know we're looking at putting on matches what they cost and stuff like that okay you realize our steel has you know limited time and all that you know you can only use it for so long before it becomes a problem um so having that level of education how to depreciate it how to make sure you're keeping up with that showing where the money goes because right now you know that's one of the biggest things that's tearing all of our organizations apart here is nobody, everybody's seeing, well, we'll pay this much. You make this much, where's the money go? So transparency with that and education about where to go, what to do with. Um, the second thing is I want to look into starting a foundation and the foundation can be funded by both member, uh, member dues, so to speak, but mainly with donations um, from other clubs and from other people that want to participate in it. If basically starting a buyer's club, so to speak. And right now, I mean, the steel target paint guys, that everybody gives a club a break if they ask for it. People need to know where these places are that will give a club a break on the price that they ask for. Um, giving them the ability to, and I don't want to say on loan, but a very similar program. Like if they can, if they want to start a club, um, the foundation could purchase the steel. Um, it could also be loaned from other clubs nearby. I feel that they have to have a, a club, a, a range where they're allowed to go. I'm not going to try finding people ranges. That's a little nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a little over the top. I'm not saying I wouldn't, not saying somebody said, Hey, we really want to do steel challenge and me look up like four or five clubs in the area and say, well, here's, here's like five clubs. Would you like to talk to them about doing it? Because, it wouldn't be the first time that there's more than one, and I'll call it a shooting club, host different USPSA clubs, so to speak. Um, but I would, I would definitely help them find it if need be, but I'm not going to try to put together an organization that will definitely find them a club. But something to teach them how to be financially responsible and pay for the steel. If there needs to be, if it's done through USPSA, um, they could simply raise the activity fees. And I don't mean across the board. I mean, to pay for this deal. Um, so it gives people a chance to get out there with a few stages. Um, not saying we should drop $3,000 worth of steel in every club. Um, but I think this could be an amazing investment to help out small clubs in smaller areas. If they, if the, if we can set a criteria to show that they can be successful. And if not, then, the steel could be returned and used at another club, et cetera. There are huge matches all over the place. I'm sure that could use some extra steel and we'll be happy to pay a small rental fee for that. Uh, I'm not reinventing the wheel here. This is how the three gun nation um, regional series went. They actually had a really cool guy. He was a little strange, but he was an awesome guy and an amazing worker that would take a huge trailer around to the, um, different regionals that had everything for this, the, uh, shoot off series. So you had the exact same thing in every shoot off and literally it wasn't, it wasn't identical things. Like we're, we, you know, you have steel in your range and I have steel in my range and it's, it's nearly identical. It's from the same place with the same thing. This was the same steel and the same props. Um, but having a, a, a system like that and people talk about USPSA and they say, well, we don't have the money to do that. 
I've spoken with a few people and I'm pretty sure USPSA can afford whatever USPSA needs. We just have to be conscious with that money and reinvest it into our membership that is, has been growing by leaps and bounds under Mike Foley's administration. And I'm not saying that's all Mike's fault. I think Steel Challenge has had a lot to do with it. And there have been a lot of other great things in that dichotomy to create that. Um, so that's what my thing to get them steel is. Um, we can work with, with companies. We do currently work with companies to provide steel to clubs at a reduced price. I know Carl with GT Targets um, cut me some pretty good deals whenever I bought the like $2,400 worth of steel to start the club in Michigan. Um, and if, if there's a way to cut down on shipping costs and stuff like that, just helping people um, a lot of times just information. And I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest part of it. And then giving them the ability to use that information with, like I said, either a foundation or a repayment plan or something like that can be game changing for new clubs starting out. All right. Good answer. <clears throat> okay. So Steve alluded to this. And so, uh, a lot of people have, you know, I've, I've listened to a lot of, of, of the candidates. I've listened to some of the interviews you've did and some of the other ones. Um, and they're coming in and they're talking about change. Do you see, Steve asked this, do you see any changes that are needed in Steel Challenge? Yes. Um, am I going to go out here and make it a 17 division or a 10 division thing? No, I don't think. I don't think there needs to be any changes like that. I don't think there needs to be a lot of organizational changes. Um, I think we need to do something to curb this insane fury that is signing up for the World Speed Shooting Championship. I'm not sure what that is. Um, I've always been an inclusive person that everyone is welcome, but also understanding that there's a thousand people that want to shoot a match that can hold 500. So we either need to make it so it can at least get close to what people want um, or something of, of, of the like on that. Um, I think one of the other things that, that needs brought to the forefront is, you know, how people get into matches, how efficiently it's ran. This doesn't have a lot to do with steel challenge. I mean, that's, I think that's why a lot of us like Steel Challenge the most. That's 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 what I used to introduce my fiance to the shooting sports was Steel Challenge and a 1022 borrowed from a friend. Um, we can't just we can sit back and Steel Challenge. We can't do that in USPSA and multi gun. You know, we can watch all of our friends shoot and not have to worry about the next hundred yard hike to to set up a target or the next fifty yard. Thing, 50 yard walk to set up a 25 yard walk. yeah but we do have a 35 yard walk down to outer limits you know that you know, let's let's keep it yeah. clear here <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe might need some paintballs or something <laughs> i i've 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 you know i i personally don't mind painting sometimes i'll actually use the outer limits to get the juices flowing and run down there and oh. and keep the stage moving but that more than likely comes from the fact that i'm a match director and i know how that can be the slowest part of moving a shooter along is getting the painting done. Uh, but I always joke about, you know, we got to figure out how to put a paint can on a drone 
<laughs> whip a drone down there. So um, really good. Um, yeah, as match directors, we kind of figure out, you know, if, if we're there and as soon as the guy says range is safe, we step over the line or clear either one, um, depending upon the sport. But yeah, as soon as you step over the line, you're on your way to get the, the target done instead of starting 20 yards back to begin with and adding an extra 40 to your total walk. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, well, listen, I think I, that, biggest that's really good. Go ahead. I think the biggest changes that we need are being able to get more people into the matches, having more to you know, obviously we're not going to have more world championships, um, but maybe separating those out. I know I've uh, I listened to a podcast with BJ Norris. Uh, and he suggested something about just having a couple of days or just rimfire only. Um, and well, the, while I, <laughs> I, and, and I like BJ, BJ, I consider BJ a friend. Uh, you know, we see each other at matches. Um, the interesting thing there is that when you take rimfire rifle, rimfire pistol and PCC, it's over half the match. Right. And so it's going to be more like, the other way around. And, and I think the dilemma from my perspective is not that there's a thousand guns, however many people it is that want to shoot the match. It's that there's a thousand guns that want to shoot the match on Saturday and Sunday. That's the dilemma. Uh, guaranteed after the frenzy on December 8th, Okay, for those that are listening, remember, December 8th is when the World Speed Shooting Championships registration opens on practice score. The frenzy is not going to be for Thursday slots. It's going to be for Saturday and Sunday slots. And people get upset when they can't get that. And I get it. But there's only so many spots and and there is the uh, range oddity that at Alabama you can't start shooting until nine in the morning so the first session on every day is only eight guns and so there's there's those limitations there and I think the CMP is a fantastic place to shoot uh I think they've done a great job every year so far uh I've been there watching them set up um but I think the key here is and I don't know how you solve it. Okay. Uh, but the key is going to be that it's not that people can't get in. It's that they can't get in on the day they want to shoot. Just some food for thought. I greatly appreciate that. And, and that's why I'm, I'm looking at the committee way. And, uh, you know, everybody says, I know you've heard of, of USPSA having a few rule changes that not a lot of people agreed with how they were done with no comment period, et cetera. Um, I don't know if you know how easy it is to create most, most people do, but for some reason USPSA hasn't done this yet. Just creating a poll. Um, one of the other companies I represent is, and this is, this won't be represented after I become president, but I work with Red Hill Tactical and they make custom holsters. We also have around 160 sponsored shooters. And of course, everybody in this sport, whether it's your first match or you're 95 years old wants to be sponsored. So we found a Google document solution um, that whenever, whenever we open up sponsor slots, we 
send out a Google document and people fill it out and we get back a spreadsheet that is just beautifully put together. So if we have a poll um, about that, that could, that could be a world changer right there. You know, what do you guys think about X, Y, Z? And, you know, suddenly we have a thousand responses. I'm being very optimistic on that. Right. Uh, but we have those responses right there. Um, that, that can really help an organization and, and help a president or a board make decisions. You know, most people don't want flashlights on production guns, but they do on limited or something crazy like that. Um, that would have been so much easier than saying, well, we're going to do this without a, you know, without a provisional period. And next thing we know, we have frame weights with LEDs on them. Well, specifically on that one, and no, I have not talked to a majority of the membership, um, but the people I've talked to, they weren't really pissed off about the fact that they added flashlights. It was more, as you pointed out, the process that it went through. Right, exactly. And a lot of times that's, you know, we, we can look at that in a lot of ways. It's not necessarily what you say, it's how you say it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people also looked over the fact that, that there are level one exemptions for pretty much every rule. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to, if you want to go out and shoot in your sweatpants, you can do that at a level one because it doesn't have belt loops. You can't come to nationals in your sweatpants, you know, um, <laughs> it, it just goes to point out, you know, there's, I've, I've had a guy show up to a level one match and a, a newly trained RO that that's not legal. You can't have a flashlight on your gun. I'm like, that's what that kid carries every day. That's the only gun that kid has. It's a Taurus with a flashlight on it. Mm-hmm. You're afraid of winning? It's a level one match. Um, let's make it happen. And the kid shot the match. They didn't take the batteries out of the flashlight. I guess they were afraid of illuminating something in the bright sunlight. Uh, <laughs> but, hey, it was there. It was done. And the kid got to shoot his carry gun. Because the gun wouldn't fit in a holster without a flashlight. Um, so, yeah, that's... I, I want to make it, I want to change the perception that people have of what USPSA is doing. And I want to be open about what's going on, what's happening, why it's happening and get their opinion. And majority is pretty much going to rule unless it's just something insane. Like, Hey, we don't have to have holsters anymore. Everybody starts from one ready or something like that. Um, yeah, we have to validate that data that we would get, of course, but I think we definitely need a way to pull the membership better. And if everybody wants to shoot certain things on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or whatever, or Saturday, Sunday, maybe that's what we need. Um, I, I know the steel challenge and I'm a pistol guy. I like my nines, my forties, 45s, 357s, whatever. Um, but where's the money coming from? You know, who, who is the organization that we're doing? Kids have to miss school to shoot rims. So maybe, maybe the biggest two days of the match, should be rimfire Saturday, Sunday. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm, I'm going to do anything. I'm just saying we should look at. Um, you know, how does the Scholastic Steel Challenge and the Scholastic Clays program? How do they manage to get their their school students into something like that without disrupting their education? Um, so I'm I'm very much an open book on things, and I just want to make them better because I feel that. I feel the steel challenge can be an Olympic sport. Uh, if you look at the number of people competing in it versus 
a lot of other sports, it has changed drastically in the last few years. Well, that was one of the one of the questions I wanted to uh, ask you about, too, because I was just watching another podcast where they talked about the fact that uh, Ipsic has now joined an organization that is involved in, I think, certifying Olympic sports. And so it sounds like they're working towards getting USPSA as a uh, or not USPSA, excuse me, IPSC. And of course, USPSA is an IPSC affiliated uh, right. uh, region with our own rule set. But uh, they're looking to get IPSC as a uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not transitory, but uh, exhibition sport. Exhibition sport, yeah. So um, I know we haven't, and I don't want to, I'm my biggest. I've been told by one of my close friends, my biggest problem is I don't talk and brag about myself enough. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are a lot of things that have nothing to do with shooting. They're the reasons I think I would make a good USPSA president. Well, let's hear those. And the first one is, you know, karate has become a exhibition sport and it may have become an actual sport this year. So I know people and have personal friends that have worked hard to get sports to the Olympic level and brought into the Olympic training centers. Um, So I'm not just kind of talking like, boy, it sure would be great if my uh, horseshoe throwing was an Olympic sport. I literally know people and understand the process to become an Olympic sport. Um, Whether we can do that with firearms, that's a hard part to do. But uh, it's worth it's worth trying and it's worth pushing. We have a, a large number of sports there already that deal. And, and we may have to get in as a rimfire sport primarily to start. Um, and as you know, I mean, how many of you guys started with rimfire? So I bet a lot of people that are listening started, you know, hey, look, we got a 1022. We can play this game. That's the cheap way to do it. Next thing you know, you have 13 different guns and you're shooting everything from a revolver with an optic on it to a, AR-15 millimeter. Has he read my, <laughs> wait, has he read my bio? I, I think he's read my bio. <laughs> I haven't yet. I have looked into you guys a little bit. I have been listening to the podcast for a while, but, um, and that's how a lot of it goes. Um, my fiance is 37. Um, she is a person that's never really considered shooting competition before. And I had a match. She says, what can I do? And I'm like, well, unless you want to walk around in circles and paint steel, you should shoot it. So a friend of mine has a daughter that's built about the same as she is, about five seven, kind of thin. Um, pick up a rifle and it fed her well enough to shoot the match. And her first four strings, she went one for one. And I'm standing there with my mouth open. Um, not that she's a great shooter, but it's pretty easy. Now I'm gonna. She went fast, obviously, you know, compared to to some folks. But it was something that just about anybody could walk out there and be successful with. So if we get people, if we get that level of exposure, you know, it's only a matter of time till it's like the inner city boxing club. There's one on every street corner. Well, if we have a match um, in every county in the country, this sport's going to be amazingly huge. Um, so that's why I think the moving towards an Olympic sport is an, would be an amazing thing for Steel Challenge. 
Um, some of the other things that I've done that make me specifically qualified to be a president more than other folks is I've served on our local real estate board. Um, I served two year, two terms as vice president, two terms as president. Um, and I served for a little over five years on our North Central West Virginia Multiple Listing Service Board of Directors. Um, I learned a lot about boards. Um, for instance, did you know that we're governed by Robert's Rules of Order as, as the, the backup to policies and procedures in our USPSA bylaws? And I, I'll take a gander to guess that most of either the board members and the presidents don't have that book in front of them most of the time. Um, I do have a copy of that book. It's all beat up, tattered, coffee stained. Um, and I, I've read it a lot. There's nothing like standing in front of a group of 30 or 40 people trying to figure out whether you should ask for a motion or accept the minutes. Um, and all that's, all that's written out, it's again, clear and concise directions. And I think knowing that, being able to work with people and bring people together for amicable solutions, when there has to be a solution made, is one of my strong suits. Um, I've worked pretty much every level except for major match director. I've ran my own local matches. I've assisted, assistant match directed and kind of shadowed a couple of major match directors during some of that time, one of which was Larry Halt. He probably didn't know I was shadowing him, but I was working just about every other stage, putting something up and during the setup and stuff like that and seeing how he did things. Well, back then it was uh, called shadowing. Now it's called stalking. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and, you know, I think we need, well, it's only stalking if you're trying to hide the fact that you're stalking. Okay. <laughs> and I think that brings me to another thing. I want a shadowing program. You know, we have, I don't know, I can think of a dozen great match directors to run nationals. Um, why don't we have those folks work with each other and with other match directors? I mean, I, when they do this, some with the Range Master Institute, but most people see that level and they think I'll never be a range master. I don't have what it takes to be a range master. It's a hard program. I don't even care about it. And those aren't just anybody out there. Those are, those are seasoned CROs. Um, so have a shadowing thing. Hey, you want to, you want to open up a big steel challenge club? You got all the money to do it. Why don't you come over here and we'll help you get to, you know, Georgia or Alabama where there's a hundred people or come to nationals, you know, and spend the week with our match director and just see what you can learn because that's, that is such a huge thing. I've, I have a, a club started up about the same time I did, um, and because of COVID and job responsibilities, it's, it's closed. It was a multi-gun club. Uh, I tried to get there and help them out a lot. But when the match director uh, asked me, so what do you think I should do for the match? And I'm like, go shoot somebody else's match. And he looks at me like, huh? But I know I'm like, just go shoot under somebody else. I don't even care if it's in this discipline go find a big club that's got a hundred people at it. So he goes up to a couple places in PA and he comes back and his eyes are just, man, that was amazing. I could do this and this. And you get so many ideas and so many better ways to run things. Okay. Uh, so uh, creating a consortium of good talent to pull from, I think is the biggest thing that I would say is, is my leading qualification. 
Excellent. So I'm going to ask one last question and then, you know, I'm going to let Steve actually ask some questions because <laughs> I've been dominating the questions here, but Hey, that's my personality on this podcast. Hey, Je- <laughs> Jeff, I'm all, I'm over here breaking down an AR while we talk, so everything's good. <laughs> Taking the opportunity to get your guns clean. I love it. Um, <laughs> no, Steve, really just, uh, you know, kind of one final question for me, um, and that is, you know, it's kind of, well, it's kind of another multi-part question. Um one, it sounds like you may be a sponsored shooter by Red Hill Tactical, and it sounded to me like you alluded to the fact that if you were to become the president, and I don't know if it's a requirement of the presidency, but you would step down from that sponsored shootership, if you will. Um, second question would be, what are your feelings on the proposed changes we're all hearing for the presidency and does that change your position on running for it i.e you know the old president used to be the president and the executive director now they're talking about you know splitting that up between uh two positions uh and the president i think the way it's been termed is won't have the keys to the kingdom um what are your feelings on those? Uh, well, first part, it's not required to, to leave any sponsorships and agreements. Um, but I do feel that there is a conflict there. Um, and I, I don't want to start pointing fingers and I don't want to demonize Mike. Um, but at the same time, you know, Mike was a Wilson combat sponsored shooter. Uh, which I thought was kind of funny because they created a sport opposite USPSA, but yet, but now they're supporting it. Um, I feel that as a president, you should not be swaying anyone else. I don't want to be questioned if I did something because of a business relationship with someone else. I'm the person that believes you should be beyond reproach. Um, there are people that point fingers about everything, but I just want them to not have necessarily as much of a place to point a finger. Uh, yes, I'm sponsored. I'm one of Red Hill Tactical's team captains. Um, I'm also sponsored by Blue Bullets, and I do some various things for them. Uh, I'm also sponsored by Gray Guns, um, the Hunter's HD Gold. Uh, technically not sponsored by Steel Target Paint because I'm a club, but I've had their stuff on me. Uh, Shooters World Powders helps us out as part of the Red Hill Tactical team. So I have a number of sponsors, mainly because of relationships and ability to sell things, not my ability to actually shoot guns. <laughs> um, but we've had we've had that uh, discussion with both sponsored shooters and uh, and vendors, and so we understand that completely. Yeah. So. Uh, I'm going to walk away from pretty much wearing anyone else's name while I'm a USPSA president and while I'm on those duties. Um, with that being said, I'll still wear their name if they sponsor a nationals. So if I'm walking around in a 2022 blue bullets, um, USPSA Nationals shirt, that's because they sponsored nationals. Or if I'm walking around in a t-shirt day before the rain, just because I still have a free t-shirt left over. Um, I'm not going to be taking any, uh, 
any types of discounts or anything from those people. I will be the USPSA president, not a sponsored shooter and USPSA president. Okay. One of the things to, that you, once you became elected, you had to become a uh, life member. It's 500 bucks to become a life member. I don't think there's a gun on Steve's desk over there uh, that's less than 500 bucks. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I, you so are I also, correct, sir. You, you are correct. I own my own business. I'm, I have an FFL. I work on, I'm a gray gun certified armor and all that stuff. And I'll tell you, gun prices went nuts. So 500 bucks is pretty cheap. Um, I went ahead and signed up as a life member. I'm trying to figure out why I didn't do that 20 years ago, because I would have saved so much money. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, at the same time, I sit here and I look, um, Bruce won, and there's no point in, in hiding things or being politically correct about it, apparently wrote an email, a message that some folks out there have publicized greatly um, of a lot of thoughts. And my, with all due respect to Bruce, I do believe that some of the stuff that he talked about in there is preposterous. Uh, first of all, let's say, let, let me reiterate, I have been here since Mike Boyd. Um, Mike has said we needed an executive director. Uh, we had Dave Thomas as an executive director. And I feel from a, I also have a business management degree. Um, I feel from a business management standpoint that the USPSA employees need a clear, concise, and consistent leader. Um, whether we give this person the title of executive director, office manager, um, whatever Grand else. Grand Poobah. Yeah. <laughs> um, person in charge. The, all of that stuff needs to be taken care of. The president does not need to be doing it. We got lucky that Mike was somewhat competent, at least, to do that job. Um, we have had an executive director, like I said, Dave Thomas. We Then we had some time without an executive director. Then we had another executive director that was not good for our sport. And they would not allow Phil to fill that position. Then we got Mike Foley. And he convinced them that he could do both positions and you can, but there's only so much one man can do or woman or anybody else. Um, because the two jobs aren't necessarily the same. One is running an organization, running a business. The other is politically running the business. And when I say politically, I don't mean that you're, you're signing off on paying the rent which is another issue that I have that we're a multi-million dollar corporation still paying rent. Um, but that, that's, that's stuff that I would have to get into once elected and get deeper so I could actually understand the books and what was going on there. Um, we, we have a lot of accountants asking a lot of questions <laughs> and that's not a good thing. So we need a separation of duties. So I absolutely agree with that part. And I support that. Whether whatever the president, first of all, the president's salary isn't just a straight up salary of sixty two thousand five hundred that they did. Of course, there was a lot of people looking for the six figure salary. Uh, but if we're going to have a six figure salary for president, we're going to have to have a whole pile of uh, certifications and stuff that you have to go through to be able to even run for president. Um, it's a part time job. 
I'm going to treat it like a full-time job because I live in a historically underdeveloped business area. Um, that would be more than the salary that I make right now working for the county. Um, and I could commit more and do the job the way I feel it would be done as a full-time employee on that salary. Um, at the same time, we can't change things from without. We can scream, wave our pitchforks and torches, but we can't change anything standing outside the fire. We have to get into it. So I'm, I've committed to run. When the salary was 150000 or whatever it was, to the salary being 60000 I'm still running. If they take the salary away, I'm still running. Can't put as much time into it because I have to put food on the table. But I'm still running. Um, I'm committed to the, the people of this sport, to the steel challenge shooters, to the multi-gun shooters. And when I tell somebody something, it's something they can take to the bank. Uh, I, don't, I don't say anything behind their back. I won't say to their face. Some people are shocked at the things I will say to their face. Um, but it is an, an honest and genuine expression. Uh, I, I don't feel that we should be hiding things so much being a, a board that answers to pretty much the membership. Uh, with that being said, I think if they take away the presidency, that it will be one step to destroying an amazing organization. Um, right now, some of the things they talk about while infuriating to some people, one that may be running for office, but um, one of the things, and I'll specifically say what it is, they, they said, let's do away with eight areas and one president. Let's make it nine areas. Why the heck would you do that? Um, I'm trying not to use swear words as much being public, <laughs> but that's insane because truthfully, the president and having served on boards, if you've served on very many boards, you know, this, the president is kind of a lame duck to begin with. Um, the, he is the secretary of the board already. That's what the president is. Um, they don't vote on everything like the area directors would. They have a vote and it's usually generally a tie breaking vote. So a lot of the things that are either in that email and that have been said by other folks tend to lead me to believe they don't understand how the organization is supposed to be ran to begin with. Um, and I know that's, that's going to seem very rude to them, but I feel that every person on the board is there because they want to see this sport do better. I'm not slighting them in any way. I just feel that what I have seen over my years in this that they don't understand how the board was meant to be ran from to begin with and how it should be ran for an organization of this size and level. Um, USPSA has for many years um, kind of stood over the fire, so to speak. They want to be a nonprofit, but there are so many things they're doing to generate profits, but there are certain things they won't do because of the, they're afraid to pay taxes on those profits. I think that needs to be fixed. Um, and we need to, in order to grow, you have to have profit. You can't grow without money and work. Um, those are two constants that are required for an organization to expand. So the other thing is if they're going to do away with the position of president entirely, make it nine areas, and then they elect the president, that's creating a good old boys club that is not fair to the USPSA membership. Um, 
these are unpaid positions that are generally ran unopposed. And that's not good for organization. We need to do something to benefit our area directors. Um, and everybody says it's free for area directors. It's not completely, they're not completely volunteer sports. They get a lot of things paid for of expenses if they choose to. Um, I know some area directors in the past have paid to shoot other area matches where that's not supposed to be charged, but they didn't, that they would go to those other area matches and they would pay their entire own way. And that is awesome. Um, but at the same time, there are other people that have became area directors just so they could shoot on USPSA's dime. Uh, but we need to find a happy medium of, I, I want to say, pleasure to displeasure. Because a lot of what these guys are going through right now, you're going to notice a few of those area directors haven't stuck their head up. They haven't said anything. Why would you put yourself through the stress for less than $5,000 a year in benefit? Um, and a lot of that is, is a negative to some of these folks. Um, I know some of them are retired, but others have to take their only vacation time a year to go do the things that are required as an area director. Um, so I feel that the stuff that some of that stuff that they're talking about changing is terrible. Some of it is just because they don't completely understand what they're changing. And I think there's too much meddling going on in the bylaws right before an election. It gives people a bad taste. The same thing we said about, you know, the whole flashlight thing are, it's not that they didn't want the flashlights. It's how they went about it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's really that, there are some things that need changed in our bylaws. Um, but going about it as an 11th hour approach, postponing the presidency, uh, it's within our bylaws. If they postpone the presidency long enough, it just gets two more years of Sherwin as our president. Um, I know Sherwin, he is a good man. Um, but it gets just a couple more years of him doing it until it just fills out and it runs a normal election cycle. And is that what's best for our sports and i don't feel that it is um i think we just need to to get the election out of the way at, at an amicable amount of time and move on from there um there's a lot of things that i feel they're trying to do in this 11th hour that they should have been working on the last 10 hours so that's probably not a real popular opinion amongst some of those gentlemen but it, it is what it is well, again, you're allowed to have your opinion. I mean, that's mm -hmm. uh, and and in running for the presidency, uh, you know, I don't think anybody is is that's running is going. Everything's great. I just want to help out, you know, just keep it moving. I mean, mm -hmm. there's uh, there's definitely uh, some changes, some big, some small. Uh that need to be made um what they are is going to depend on what road we go down so all right steve foster i promise not to say anything until the end it's your show now <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks steve appreciate your time no, I'm just with you. hey uh real quick uh in a concise manner do you know when the election's going to take place because I'm hearing rumors of like April, May of next year, but I, I don't know if those are, that's just hearsay at this point in time. Do you, do you know? No, 
I do not know. And that that's one of the things that, that bothers me. If no one knows, no one will say, and no one will put a direct thing. I think April of May of next year would be a good timing. I think it would be about the earliest they could do. There are required dates in our bylaws of how much time you have to have before an election for people to get things in. And sure, sure. We're, I think if we rolled those dice right now and said, and, and all eight guys said, let's do it. I think it'd be March minimum before we could have it happen. Yeah. It just seems from an outsider looking in that that's a, an excessive period of time. I don't know when uh, Mike was dismissed, but it's been at least probably two, three oh, months. And now you're talking 26 or 28. I can't remember the, I can't remember what, which one it was. Uh, yeah, so yeah but it was August. It was August, months? end of August. Right. Wow. Yes. It was in August. Yeah, that's uh, that seems a bit excessive, but you know, let's uh, let's turn things here briefly, um, Jeff. Let's help out Steve and the other candidates. Jeff, what are one or two things that you think needs to be addressed in Steel Challenge, and you know, try to keep uh, again, try to keep it concise because we're bumping up on probably right at an hour. What are a couple sure. things that you think? Uh... <sighs> I've said this to a number of people. Uh, Steve and I had a, a conversation uh, uh, before this when I invited him to come on the podcast and I shared this. And so I'll share the same thing. Um, me personally, what I want to see is I want to see the organization still maintain the fact that Steel Challenge is run. I don't think we need to change the stages. I don't think we need to change the guns. I think we need to address a very well thought out methodology for determining peak times, okay? And the last thing, and this is the big one, is I think we need, in today's technological age, I believe this is possible, a methodology where a shooter can go in and ask to be reclassified because we've changed the times so much. So, the, Absolutely. you know, we all know, I won't say his name because I don't want to put him on the spot, but I definitely know someone who a couple of years ago was a 94% master in rimfire rifle open. He is now a 76% master because all we've done is change the times and he's pretty much stop shooting rimfire rifle open because he doesn't feel he has any competitive equity. Um, but that being said, <clears throat> I believe it should be optional because a yeah, guy like so yourself, a guy like me, I want to maintain my GM monikers. <clears throat> yeah. Let's talk about that real. I mean, briefly, and then we'll go on to maybe your second or third one. So Steve and all the other people that are running for, you know, USPSA uh, president, I, I don't think that there's anything necessarily broken in Steel Challenge. I agree with Jeff that there needs to be a hard look at uh, classifications. Uh, I'm sure Jeff could pull it off the top of his head, but I think we're running probably a 12 or 13 percent grandmaster level in rimfire rifle open as a percentage of uh, people are shooting it, which I personally believe is pretty high. 
I think that the classification time in, and it was, you know, a calculated decision at the time not to lower it based on the amount of competitive nature, let's just say, or the people interested in shooting steel challenge, <clears throat> but we're probably high level ballpark, probably eight seconds um, too high somewhere in rimfire rifle open. And I bet you PCC is probably, you know, very, very similar. So I, I think to Jeff's point, I think that needs to be addressed with the strategy for reclassification. So I agree with that one. That's probably, that's probably number one that needs to be maintained. What else you got, Jeff? Uh, nothing. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, uh, you know, like I said, I, I, I want to see the organization <clears throat> maintain the fact that the uh, steel challenge is a discipline we can shoot, which I don't think uh, anyone has ever thought uh, is going to happen that it would, it would, it would go away. So I, uh, I don't think that's going to be a problem. I think the, I mean, I really think if we weren't to change the times, but to give this reclassification opportunity, uh, optionally to people, because I think like my, like I said, for myself, I earned my GMs. Uh, if we were to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to change the times and we're going to forcibly reclassify everyone. We would lose our 13 division grandmaster because right. some of his are just over the 95% and he earned those, but in the same respect. And, you know, you look back, back in 2017, I shot a 75 at us deal came in third. If I shot a seven, I shoot about a 72, maybe now in PCC and you're lucky to be top 20. Uh, yeah. You'd have to, you'd have to scroll on practice score for sure. Yes, exactly. And, and that's because people have taken those platforms to a level that no one expected. I think it's to some extent, a level that those top shooters didn't even expect. I mean, we talked with Chris Barrett, um, after he won his world speed shooting championships. And he admitted that in the previous year, he never thought he'd get to where he was the following year. Now he put a lot of work in because that was a huge jump that he made. And I think if, you know, you go two years ago and you say to Grant, you think he can shoot, you know, well under 60 and rimfire rifle iron, he'd look at you and go two years ago, he would have gone, you're crazy. Right. You know, and now we're looking at, you know, Kenny Nagata and, you know, people going, my God, are we going to see an under 50? You know, and some of these other guys that actually have a potential. So they've just taken the game to a whole new level. Um, Agreed. Most shooters haven't done that. And, you know, my personal opinion is that the guys that are at that level, yourself, uh, you know, uh, and we'll go down the line uh, of some of the, you know, who I consider the top shooters. And, well, maybe I won't because I don't want to I don't want to leave anybody. Yeah, anybody. yeah I agree. <clears throat> but let's just say those people who are shooting 110, 115, 120 percent of stages. The classification system means nothing to them anymore. Agreed. They are going to a match with the concept of I'm going to compete to win this match. So 
bringing them, bringing their scores into the mix of calculating what the peak times should be doesn't impact them at all. Right. They're still going right. to be a GM. There's, you know, they're still going to uh, compete for the fact that I'm, I'm looking to, to, to win the overall match, not necessarily win my class. And all it does is, is makes it more difficult for everyone else to meet the levels of classification. Right, right, right. And this is where I said, I think we need to take a long look at what is the methodology for calculating what the peak time should be. Yeah, I agree. So what's, let, let's talk about one of the things that Steve brought up, um, which I think needs to be addressed. And I don't have the silver bullet. I'm not a Barney Fife. I don't have the, the bullet in my top pocket here, but I think that there probably needs to be some level of review of the process for signing up for the world speed shoot. And I think there's a lot that I like about it. I like the first come first serve because there's a lot of people that if you had to do as some USPSA matches where you have to qualify and then you get slots and so on and so forth, you know, not everybody necessarily can shoot the, uh, you know, the world shoot as an example, but <clears throat> nor people would want to, but I think that a lot of people, you know, I, what other sport can you go and shoot with the fastest people in the world? I mean, you know, you can't just walk onto Augusta national and uh, hit a ball next to tiger woods, but in our sport, not without really getting can. arrested. Well, you know, <laughs> this is something you need to tell us, Jeff. I, no, I was wait. wondering, I was wondering if the wig was going to make a cameo, but anyway, <laughs> But anyway, so I think there's a lot of positive there. But on the on the flip side of that, I think there's some opportunity for people that are serious and spend a lot of money and time and effort in Steel Challenge on, um, you know, how do you get uh, how, how do you get a slot and all those kind of things. And I think the argument could be made around the Super Squad and, you know, because um, I'm already registered for, let's just say, at least one division. Um, because of my performance. So I, I think that's another one, Steve, that we need to, that we need to, uh, that we need to look at. And I'm, I'm talking mainly more specific about steel challenge stuff, because, you know, that's really the audience that we're talking about here. I guess the, the other thing that comes to mind, well, let's talk about the world speed shoot a little bit. I think it's a pretty high or hefty price tag, um, you know, hundred bucks a gun. And I do think it's a decent prize table. Um, but, uh, you know, I just shot a match this past weekend in Holt, Florida at the Panhandle All-8, and they ran eight-person squads, which I think was fine. You know, I uh, engaged my daughter already to help paint, you know, because I think everybody should – should uh, it either should be one way or another. I think everybody should either paint or, you know, there should be uh, paid staff. And so I think it was like 60 bucks a gun for the first gun and then 30 bucks thereafter. Um, but they actually had painters on all the all the stages and – you know, they definitely helped out with, uh, you know, some of the closer roundabout or smoking up. That's typically not where the fatigue and the, uh, you know, the competitive equity comes in if people are painting or not painting. And so, you know, maybe at $100 a gun, I think, you know, there's been some discussion in USPSA about how IPSC does it, you know, pasting and, you know, shooter shoot and all that kind of stuff. Or, you know, I've heard, I think it was the Wisconsin sectional, listen to Brian Conley's uh, podcast where Ben and Joel were talking about, hey, in your shooting order, this is when you 
this is when you paste. And same thing with painting, because I do think there's a benefit to the the uh, sponsor. So I think that there's probably an opportunity in there. And same thing with uh, the whole food thing. I think maybe a little bit of an opportunity, you know, for a hundred bucks a gun to uh, to not have paid for food. But I think those are kind of you know some trivial things that need to need to be worked through. It the last one that I that I have, you know, because I think classification is definitely the the biggest um, item out on the table is that steel challenge is maybe just a little bit different than some of the other shooting sports because steel challenge is a very inclusive sport that you mentioned a little bit earlier, Steve, that, you know, somebody that's 85 years old can be there with their, with their son, with their grandson and great grandson, and they can all be competitive shooting at a match based on their classification, so on and so forth. And I think that's the love and joy of uh, steel challenge. So it's a very inclusive you know, and I know there's been a lot of talk about this in USPSA around, you know, killing off single stack and, you know, revolver and ABC one, two, three. And I think Steel Challenge is the exact opposite. I know there's eight divisions in USPSA. There's 13 in Steel Challenge. I would propose, even as a Steel Challenge shooter, I'd propose add two more divisions. I know no, some people, no. And maybe stop. Je- stop, oh, no, no, Steve. I'm stop. I, I'm not done. I'm not done, Jeff. I, I, I was going to get it out that Jeff wouldn't be uh, a fan of it. But what I will tell you, and there is a game for this, is one of the coolest and most fun times that I've had shooting in a long time was at this little game in Metal Madness in nowhere, Kentucky. I love you, Ed, where I got to shoot my rimfire revolver open gun. I can't even tell you how much fun that was. And, you know, we can debate that uh, there's, the wheel gun guys and rimfire pistol open. You can run in that same wheel gun and that, but uh, you know, I think it, it speaks to, you know, the inclusive nature of, uh, of steel challenge, but those are kind of the, the hot buttons, the way that I see it. I do think that there's a little work that probably needs to be done in organizing and structuring all of it. When I say all of it, I mean, how do you take people's ideas and suggestions and, you know, how do you get them and who do you listen to and, and how do things get done and all those kind of things, whether that's USPSA or Steel Challenge. But, you know, the, the same things, we don't necessarily have the same issue, so to speak, that it sounds like that USPSA has with officiating and all that other stuff. And I'm sure that's really important to a lot of people. For the most part, I think, uh, you know, it's a, it's a volunteer sport. We're not shooting for $50,000. And, you know, there's been times where I know Jeff and myself, I've had some one-off discussions with some ROs on range commands and those kind of things. But for the most part, I don't really think that's necessarily broken. I think Troy and his group does a pretty good job. So I think high level, I think that's that, those are the handful of things. I'm sure if I give it some more thought, I could come up with a couple more. But I think those, Steve, are just a handful of things to consider um, as, you, uh, as you move forward and step through this process. All right, Jeff, I'll, I'll let you not react to uh, adding no, two no, more provisions. No, it's, it's, it's <laughs> fine. I, I, you know what? That's that's why this podcast is what it is, because we have fun with it and we can we can poke fun. Um, I want to add one thing because uh, you brought it up about USPSA and, and, the, and, the, and the very differing in the sports. But I want to specifically talk about the classifications. And I really thought about this. A couple of years ago, we had Optics Nationals. There were... I think seven potential classifiers. I think six of them actually six of them actually made it into the into the classifier uh, book. 
meaning those stages you can run for classifiers, I can almost guarantee that. And they, and, and people have told me, well, the top shooters shot those, those stages. And the answer was yes, but they shot them at a nationals and they shot them cold. Uh, we shoot classifiers every match, every match. I believe that the same dilemma <laughs> that we have that we find the classification and the peak times uh, creating more GMs and the fact that we've changed them over the time would happen in USPSA if all we did was shot classifiers and everybody figured out the absolute best way to shoot this stage at maximum performance, not at a nationals at a local match. So I think this is, this is one of the, the reasons why uh, we're seeing uh, it get better and better and better. And, and why have some of the, uh, you know, there probably are some of those stages like uh, the bill drill or uh, can you count that are relatively maxed out because they get used a lot, but they're also, again, not shot by all the top shooters. You know, I can't say looking at a match when's the last time. Well, I guess I could, uh, you know, when Max or KC or Jesse or any of those top shooters have shot a classifier, but they're more interested in shooting the field courses, which is understandable. That's what USPS is about. And I think that's part of what we need to take into consideration when looking at the methodology for defining what the peak times are, which are tantamount to the uh, Steve Money Petty, what's it called? The uh, the high percentage. What's the uh, the term they use in USPSA? The, the high hit factor. High hit factor. That's it. I want I want to throw a couple of things on there. For one, I absolutely agree that there needs to be a way to go back down in classification. Um, I, I always joke says I was once a GM. Um, I'm not going to take advantage of it and go down because I'm not really shooting to <clears throat> win any class or anything like that, but. I do have a friend of mine that runs a club in Southern West Virginia and he has changed jobs. He's now the match director. And on the best day he shot in the last two years, he's a low A class shooter. He's got an M card. Um, so there are a lot of folks like that, that have shot. We have, you know, or we're great children. And when I say that, I mean, I can't foretell the future, but is Chris Barrett always going to be awesome? Or will he come back to enjoy this sport with his grandchildren after he took 20 years off? He still shouldn't be GM. Well, maybe he should. He's a little freaky. But anyway, you know, <laughs> <laughs> no, no offense to Chris, but, you know, th th that's kind of where things go. Um, <clears throat> I took a few years off. I haven't – when I say off, I mean, I haven't really shot a major more than one a year, one or two a year in 10 years. Um, but there were years where I shot 20 majors and I worked hard to earn that GM card. Um, I also feel that there needs to be a slight disconnect. Um, just because you are not in, uh, in the hunt, so to speak anymore, doesn't mean you should have to keep that, that classification. <clears throat> and just because you're a rimfire open grandmaster does not mean you are a revolver iron sight master 
so to speak. Well, that's that's yeah. going to be more a USPSA thing. The good news right. is is that in in steel we don't have that uh, similar uh, situation. That's awesome. Um, and as for like the can you count uh, classifier stuff, I was there when Max Michelle hit that hit factor. Um, it was at Area Six in like 2006. Does that tell you anything about how old our classifiers are? It might have been 2007, but that's that'd be the furthest up. Um, him and a couple of other speed demons. I'm pretty sure it was Casey was on the, the AMU or just had just got on there at that time. Um, they just burn it down. It was area six. None of them stood a chance at losing the match because of that stage. And I think you were dead on the, the national shooter shot this match. Yeah. All the top shooters shot it. They shot it with a mentality of don't lose the match here on this little stage. I also feel that we need to add some classifiers. I'm not saying that we need to delete them, but and the old ones, we need to look at the hit factors of them, but we need some classifiers that are more uh, like our shooting. And anybody that wants to say it won't work, three gun nation classifiers were literally a stage, a 32 round plus course. Um, those worked. I've shot a number of them. Um, it, it's a big enough stage to let you have <clears throat> See, right now, our problem with the classification system is a hero or zero, because that's how it works. When you start factoring in hit factor, I can I can go out and I can either throw down and be a hero. And if I'm not a hero, I'm a zero. If I tag that no shoot, that classifier doesn't count. Um, so that's that's some of my problems with our, our classification system is. One, you can't go backward or down uh, in Ipsic. They, they do, by the way, that they go down if you shoot so many classifiers. Um, we, you can right now petition DNORI, which is director of the National Range Officer Institute, to lower your classification. Uh, it's just not very readily done, um, but it is possible to go down in classification if someone wants to write a letter, um, especially if it's, it's backed by a match director or somebody that's seen this person. Look, they're not going to ever win anything as a gm they're not even winning m class stuff can we take an average of their last how many classifiers or stages is the case i hate, I hate them calling classifiers and steel challenges everything you shoot's a classifier right um <laughs> well so, i think that's where that's where you know my concept of of a electronic automated methodology right uh which is going to be based on what you've shot but based on the new peak times um, Steve, we could probably go on for another hour and a half here. Uh, <laughs> I've really enjoyed talking with you and, and getting your perspective about the presidency and all that, but it has been about 90 minutes and, um, Jeff needs a bio break. <laughs> well, uh, is this my closing statement? Or yes, it... please give us your closing uh, statement, sir. <laughs> I, I, I would love to, to thank you guys for having me on here. I, again, we could talk all day. Um, I feel that. Out of, out of all the candidates out there, I feel that I'm going to give the most voice to Steel Challenge, creating a committee, creating ways for everybody to communicate. Um, and I want to be the president of not only the USPSA, but Steel Challenge. And if you want your voice to be heard, let me know, and I will make sure that your voice is heard, whatever sport you're doing or whatever you're out there. Um, I, I look forward to representing every shooter in all of our sports and all of our disciplines. Because whether I get along with you or not, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do the best I can to get your voice heard and make this sport better for all of us.
And I want to thank you guys again for the podcast and stuff that you guys do to put your information out there. I, I listen on a regular basis and I learn so much from what you guys, Brian, and everybody else is running a podcast in the shooting industry does. Excellent. Well, thanks for being on. And uh, hey, Steve, how do we end every podcast? If you're interested in purchasing Steel Target Paint or anything on rangestore.net, use discount code STPODCAST10. And thank you, Steve, for your time. Really appreciate it, brother. Thank you also, Steve. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.